You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Praise God. Boy, that's loud, isn't it? I feel like somebody. That's really loud. Now, you know, I was talking to uh, someone, I won't mention his name, and I told him, I said, gosh, you know, this week the sermon is going to be relatively short. And uh, he said, really? He said, you know, I thought you'd take like three hours or so. And uh, I said, well, you know what? I could push it forward, make it a little longer if need be. So how about an hour rather than three? And uh, you guys can thank him later on for that. What a marvelous, marvelous thing to be able to come, gather together purposefully, right, for the purpose of glorifying God. And it's happening on Lord's Day everywhere around the world. The Lord has people glorifying and magnifying Him on this, the Lord's Day. Regardless of what the time zone is, at some point, They're going to worship God, even in those countries where Sunday is not a weekend like ours, even in those countries where Christianity is not recognized. The Lord has placed it in the hearts of his people to come together and to recognize his day, the Lord's day, which is exactly what we're doing. So without further delay, so I can make good use of my hour, um, let's turn to the Lord in prayer and then we will get right into the text for today. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for all the opportunities you give us to express our love for you, our devotion to you. We rejoice, Lord, in knowing that you are the captain of our salvation, Lord, and the the anchor, the very anchor for our souls. Each of us desires to grow so that we might more and more reflect that glory that's within We want, Lord, to so, so magnify you with our lives. We want others to see you through us, and we know that that's made only possible by your word. We rely on you, Lord, to teach us, to work your word deeply into us, um, to transform us so that we look more and more like the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice the sacrifice that has continuing effects on our lives as you are our very life living through us. And we just adore you for that. We thank you. We pray that you will uh, work your work in us. Teach us your word today so that we might know more about you and, and that that might be reflected in the way in which we live. Lord, we pray for Patrick and, and his trip. We see him being set apart for this great, great purpose, Lord. We know that he has a heart for the lost, and, and uh, uh, you've given him a great, great desire to, to share that, to go beyond the borders of our country into places, Lord, where the word of God, your word, is dim. And we thank you that you've worked this in his heart and given him the gift of being able to do that. So we ask... Lord, that you bless him, that you bless his family that remains behind, and that you guide his steps, Lord, and just bless every, every effort prompted by his faith. Take him there safely, Lord, and return him back to us safely, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at the Word of God this morning. I said to someone, we are preaching on the Word of God. They, well, they asked, what are you preaching on? Well, we're preaching on the Word of God. Well, I know that, but what are you really preaching on? The Word of God. So today, we're going to be looking at the Word of God. So, but let me connect it with what I've done in the past. Um, maybe two weeks ago, I did a two-week series on sanctification. 
And sanctification is that work of God whereby he's bringing us from salvation to glorification. Every one of us is on a continuum where we're moving from the point of salvation to the place where we perfectly reflect the glory of God. And of course, we know this will not happen until we die or the Lord Jesus returns, but the scripture tells us that God is doing that, and so our part really is to commit to that. Our part is to uh, submit to the Lord's work so that we too are perfecting holiness. Paul puts it this way, therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So sanctification is that process whereby we are perfecting holiness, and of course, we're not alone in the effort. It is God who is at work in us, both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And I talked to you about, uh, I gave at least three tools that the Lord uses to sanctify us. Pop quiz, do you remember what they were? Three tools, right? Trials, discipline, and forgiveness. And of course, forgiveness is connected to confession of sins. Those are three paramount ways in which the Lord hones us into that great image that reflects the Lord Jesus. Well, today, I want to introduce another tool. And it, I believe, is or should be the most obvious tool that the Lord uses. And I say should be because it's not a given. It's not a given that churches today, even in our country, even in other countries, it's not a given that churches appreciate that the Word of God is the sole mean whereby God grows us. No growth takes place apart from the Word of God. We can grow in human wisdom. We can, go, can grow physically, but spiritually, there's no growth. It cannot happen according to the Word of God unless it is by the Word of God. So today, I want to exalt, if you will, the Word of God. The purpose today is to just share what the Word of God says about the Word of God. The psalmist gives a, a really neat perspective on how the Lord exalts the Word. Psalm 138.2, and I'm giving you two different versions. The first is, for you have magnified your Word above your name. And that's the one we commonly use because it comes from the old King James Version. Um, and then the other version, the ESV, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. So these two versions, one, it kind of compares the word of God to the name of God. And of course, the name of God is everything. In a name, it represents who God is. But in comparison, it exalts the word of God. So either version is, uh, is possible. However, I think you see that in both versions, the word of God by God is elevated. He exalts his own word. So that's my goal today. My goal by God's grace is to have you leave here today with a far more elevated, exalted view 
of the Word of God than what you now possess, regardless of however exalted that might be at this point. And uh, next week, I'll address the Word of God from a more practical, a more um, application-type message. But to guide us this morning, I want to turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, like Psalm 119, extols the glory of God. And I have it up here. If you turn in your Bibles, it might help as well, but it's going to be projected um, behind me on the board. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 9. And verses 1 through 6, the psalmist gives what's typically called natural revelation, where the psalmist He sees the sun as a centerpiece governing the universe as it glorifies God. And then in verses 7 through 9, he begins to talk about the Word of God. And he sees the Word of God as that centerpiece of special revelation that glorifies God. So beginning in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous forever. I want you to notice something about this passage. Three verses, basically six lines, and each of these lines have, uh, each has three elements. And those elements are going to be crucial to understanding what the psalmist is saying about the Word of God. First of all, the Word of God has a a designation, right? He He uses various words to designate the Word of God. And then he gives a description of that element of the Word of God. And then finally, he gives a definite provision that comes from that element of the Word of God. And as I go through, they're going to they're gonna seem like they're, they're interwoven, which is true because we're talking about one thing, the Word of God. And we're looking at it through the lens of other distinctions. First of all, the descriptions are, well, let's start with designations. The designations are law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear, and judgment. And all of these are synonymous, like I said, with the Bible, with Scripture, with the Word of God. And then there are descriptions, descriptions, perfect, sure, right, clean, clear, and true. And then the Word of God has definite benefits or provisions It converts the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. And it is altogether righteous. So if you're taking notes and you need an outline, just think in those three categories. The designations, the description, and then the definite provision or the definite benefit. First of all, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. So the psalmist here gives this first designation of the Word of God as the law. And the word is Torah. And he's not talking simply about the law, like in the Ten Commandments. He's talking about 
the, the completeness of the word of God. And he, he calls it the law. And the word really means revelation that's flowing from God. And it has to do with God being the divine teacher. So this is divine instructions. So he starts out the gate by talking about the word of God relative to divine instructions, the law of the Lord. And what does he say about it? He says, it's perfect. Perfect. And perfect means it's complete, lacking nothing. It's very well-rounded. It's capable of, capable of doing everything, the word of God. And then he gives the definite benefit, restoring the soul. The word of God is able to restore the soul. So the law, which is perfect, is able to restore the soul. The soul is the true sense, right, of who we are. When you say, you know, something penetrated me to, the very, to my soul, it, 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 it just reached my, the depth of my soul. You're talking about really the deep-seated nature of who we are. And the instructions of the Lord is able to get there. It's able to get to us where nothing else can. Now, restoring the soul... The first thing to think about when we see restoring the soul, right, is salvation. And the word of God is the means whereby God gives us salvation. James says it really well. He says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Brought us forth, right? In the old King James Version, the old English word was begat. You know, you're reading the Bible and it says Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat so forth and so on. Well, what it's saying is Abraham is the father of Isaac or Abraham produced Isaac. Well, guess what? God begat. He produced us by the word of God. Every one of us who is a child of God, came into this life by means of the word of God giving us new life. Peter says the same thing in, in 1 Peter 1.23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. So the word of God saves us. It is the means whereby the Lord gives us life. And then the psalmist has in mind also the sanctifying element of the word of God because the word of God doesn't stop there. It ushers us into the kingdom. I'm always reminded of an example of, of just that, the way the word just gets there is the apostle Paul speaking to Lydia and her group about the word of God, about salvation. And the, and the Bible says, and the Lord opened her heart to believe what Paul was saying. There is no salvation apart from the word of God. However, or furthermore, there is no sanctification apart from the word of God. There is a, the psalmist starts off the book of Psalms with an incredible uh, presentation of this notion of what the word of God does, the law of God. In verses one through three of Psalm one, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And his law, in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And the law of the Lord, the psalmist refers to the teaching, the instructions of the Lord. I want to do a quick commentary before we move into the next line. And I thought about this. I thought about, so, so what really, right now, what is the application of recognizing that the word of God, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. What is the application? So here's what I wrote. So the word of God has the capacity to totally transform a person from a sinner to a Christian and from an immature Christian to a mature Christian, from a sinning Christian to a godly Christian who lives to the glory of God. In other words, what can't the word of God do? When I'm comparing this view of the word of God with some of the common views about what works in the lives of believers, believers who are struggling to make life work, believers who are struggling to live upright, I notice a far-reaching disconnect. For example, if the Word of God is what saves, and it does, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. If the word of God is what saves, then why do people and churches use gimmicks to draw people in? If the word of God is what saves. I was talking to a brother the other day. We had a great, great conversation about witnessing and about uh, helping people come to a knowledge of the truth. And the brother talked about befriending and just doing things so that uh, somehow he has access and and, and, the, and without going into detail, what, what we end up talking about was none of us is the, the, uh, the vehicle of salvation. In other words, none of us saves people. We're only weak vessels who carry the brilliant glory of God in his word, and it's up to the Lord to give the increase. So we were talking about maybe having the person go here or there, or even inviting them to church. And I said, whoa, whoa, if you're talking to someone about the word of God and you are giving them the word of God, why is that not enough? Because the scripture says, neither he who waters or he who plants is anything but God who gives the increase. When we lose sight of that, we go to any extreme to try to get people saved. Every one of us who's saved, we were all saved by the same means. God deciding to open our hearts to accept his word. Why do we see the need to make our worship more like the world to attract people to church? There are those who try to remove the sting of the gospel to make people comfortable and happy. Some of you might remember the seeker-sensitive movement. I haven't heard about it lately, but what I fear is that talk about the movement might have disappeared, but I believe the tenets of the movement 
is in full effect in most churches. Even further, if we believe the word of God can transform the soul, not only save a soul, but continue to work the work of making that soul more and more morally upright, why do we have to turn to much psychology, sociology, and other practices as means of changing bad or at least undesirable behavior? Isn't the word of God sufficient for that? Now, of course, outside of Christianity, no one believes that, but it becomes very unfortunate for the church when, those are, when there are those within the church who don't believe that, who don't believe that the word of God is sufficient. However, I can say like the psalmist, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Line two, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Now he uses the designation of a testimony. He moves from divine instruction to what? Divine witness. God is the ultimate witness of his word. Everything written in his word, everything, God bears witness that it is true. It applies to anything, historical truths, the nature of man, the nature of sin, history, real history, all of it, God is the one who bears witness in the word that it is what, and it's sure. It is sure. The Lord's testimony is sure. And that goes without saying, right? But sure means it's established and it is firm. It is the opposite of human wisdom. Human wisdom is not firm, right? Human wisdom vacillates, but the word of God is very much certain. The only document, I think, and you might agree with this, but the only document that does not need a revision is the word of God. There is no second edition. It is the word of God. And that alone shows you the incomparable, incomparable sovereignty of God in that all of the people who've lived in the world since we got the scriptures, even starting with the Old Testament, all of the people who lived, no one has ever altered the word of God. People have tried to their own destruction, but the word of God is absolutely sure. It is the only document that gives you instructions about life, instructions about death, instructions about life after this life, instructions about the nature of man, instructions about the nature of God. I mean, you name it, it is all in the word of God and it is absolutely sure. I wanna show you how Peter compares um, experience even his own experience, which is true, to the word of God. And for that, I want you to look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. I think it's going to show up behind me, but in 2 Peter, Peter does a marvelous thing in the way in which he makes very clear the sureness of the word of God. And I'm going to read, start reading at verse 16. Peter says, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his 
majesty. For when, we, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Peter is talking about the experience that he had on what's called uh, the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is in splendor and he's couched between Moses and Elijah and the Lord makes this utterance to the disciples. Peter is talking about that experience and that's an awesome experience, right? And it's a true because he was there. He saw it, he heard it, he felt it, all of it. And we are witnesses and we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so, we have the prophetic word more sure. Let me tell you what he's saying. He is saying we have an even more sure word. Peter compares his experience to the prophetic word of God and he calls it more sure. And we know it's the, it's the word of God because of what follows. And we, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy ever was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Peter says, we have a more sure word. Peter compares his experience to the word of God, and this is more sure. It's kind of like the psalmist in Psalm 19, starting off by talking about the heavens, declare the glory of God, and then getting to the word of God as that special revelation that in his mind even trumps that natural revelation. And obviously, because there are more precise details. So the benefit of God's sure testimony is to make wise the simple. To make wise the simple. Simple refers to someone who's unlearned, someone who's untrained. In fact, the Hebrew word has to do with an open door. And essentially it means you just let everything in and you don't know when to shut the door. It's like the Apostle Paul in Ephesians talking about being tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. The Word of God is the thing that is absolutely sure, and it is what makes wise the simple. Every one of us was completely simple at one point, right? None of us comes into the world with this knowledge of God according to the Word of God. So the Lord saves us and he uses the word to move us from being simple to being wise. Well, apart from the word of God, we remain simple and not know it. But the word of God reveals even that to us, um, the simpleness of our understanding of the Lord. One guy said, are we to believe the word of God is not sufficient then? Are we to believe that we find in the human resources all around us of sociology, psychology, philosophy, and human wisdom, 
what makes up for the lack of the word of God. In other words, what the word of God can't do, do we find these other agencies to make up for it? It is really necessary for preachers to go out. Is it really necessary for preachers to go outside of the Bible to quote unquote, make truth relevant and practical? Listen, the testimony of God himself is that his word is sufficient to make the simple wise in the matter of the art of living. That's a really neat way to say it. In the will of God. It makes the simple wise. The psalmist, he spoke of wisdom gained through the word of God in Psalm 119, verses 98 through 100. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. The word of God. Here's another commentary. Here's a quote. Yeah, I find these quotes and I just have to bring them, right? Because I I just want to say it like it's written. A single sentence of the word of God outweighs the opinions of a thousand of the most learned men who ever lived. Men who are ignorant of the Bible can never in, in any sense whatever be truly educated. Only God's word has any dependable information about who man actually is, where he came from, what his duty is, and what his significant, what is significant about his life. Only in the Bible can man learn of death, hereafter, the eternal judgment, and many other subjects of the most urgent importance to all men. Without such a knowledge from the Bible, every man is a simpleton and will con- continue to be so. It's only the word of God that moves one, right, from being simple, simple-minded to being wise in the word of God. Now, you know, we've been studying James, right? And James, the thing that impresses me the most about this first chapter is being doers of the word, right? And doers of the word is not just physically what you do. It's also spiritually what you start believing and taking in right? And each of us wants, we, we have to continually accept what God says about his word, even in the face of, of the onslaught, if you will, of the enemy, who sometimes is ourselves. Can you really believe, do you really accept that the word of God is the only means whereby one comes from a simpleton to a wise person of God? Think about all the brilliant people you know. Is that really brilliance? Or is this just human information? And not to detract from the the fact that there are people who are gifted, tremendously brilliant, but the content of the brilliance is just as important as the ability to be brilliant, right? If the content doesn't match with the word of God, then is it really brilliance? All right, let's turn to line three in verse eight. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Now we turn to precepts. These are divine principles. Precepts all through the word of God. And he says that the precepts simply are right. The word of God gives you 
right guidance. It's never going to take you astray. Regardless of how confusing it is for us, and I think we all go through this, trying to figure out the will of God, trying to figure out why this happened, trying to figure out why that didn't happen. Regardless of, of, of how much we vacillate trying to figure out life, we can always accept that the, word, that the Lord will never, ever, ever lead us astray. Regardless of what our flesh tells us even in the midst of the storm, because it is right. It is right. It shows you the right, just like a compass, right? You use a compass and you're traveling to get to a certain place. The word of God is that compass and you can trust it to guide you through life in a very right way so that you reach the target. And of course, we know the target is us being conformed to the image of Christ. If you ask someone... What is your source of joy? If I asked you, what is your source of joy? What brings you the most joy in life? What would be the answer? Where do you go to find joy in the midst of sorrow? Relief from anxiety. Relief from distresses. Relief from all of the things that hurt the soul. Where do you go? What is the source of your joy? Well, the psalmist says that it's the word of God. The precepts are right. And not only are they right, but they are rejoicing the soul. They rejoice the soul. So the source of joy, according to the psalmist, is the word of God, the precepts, the word of God. The psalmist, here's how the psalmist puts it in Psalm 119. And by the way, Psalm 119, the entire psalm is dedicated to the word of God. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my life. And I want to be able to say that, you know? It's kind of like when we sing songs and the songs talk about extolling the glory of God and all these words and you're just singing along and all of a sudden you pause and you go, okay, I'm singing the song, but do I really embrace this? Is it really me, you know? And it's okay not to sing if it's not. That's fine because this is not an indictment. It's just we just want to be real. We just want to have the Lord search us. And, and, and anything that defiles, just push it away. Anything that's presumptuous, push it away. And, and cause us to think rightly about him. And therefore, there's, there's integrity in that, right? We're always together. The psalmist further says in verse, in, uh, thir- verse 92 of Psalm 119, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in affliction. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in affliction. That says a lot. And you can see what the opposite is. If the, law, if, if, the law, if, if the word is not, you perish in affliction. So many of us believers, we absolutely fall apart. And I'm telling you, I have, this is always my gauge. When life isn't working for Roosevelt, and when I say life isn't working, I'm not talking about hardship, because hardship is going to come. I'm talking about how I face them. That's right. 
I'm always challenged to get in the Word of God, Roosevelt, because you can't think that way. I mean, I have to be like the psalmist sometimes. I have to talk to my soul. Soul, stop worrying. You're a child of God. And sometimes it works, and sometimes I keep worrying. But I know what to do, right? We all know what to do, and we keep pressing on. The psalmist loves the Word of God. And then Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the prophet, you know, great is thy faithfulness. That comes from Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah was a beaten down prophet. Jeremiah stood in in the threshold of Israel, leaving the kingdom and heading into captivity, exiled to Babylon. Here's what this guy says. "Your Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. A joy. One commentator writes, Do we have to have voices from heaven and talks with angels and supernatural experiences and miracles? And do we have to depend upon mystical science of the mind to lead, to be led by God into full joy? Can we not follow his word? Those who might be depressed or anxious or fearful of, uh, or doubting not knowing what direction to go, if not sufferings, suffering from some physical malady or ailment, can they not turn to the Word of God for the solution and the answer and the guidance and the direction that turns their sorrow into joy? That's where we all want to be. And remember, the continuum. We don't want to be here. We want to be moving along the continuum. And there's zero comparison with any of us Zero. I've been studying the scriptures now for 25 years, and I don't say that to, to, to compare or to boast. I've been studying diligently because that's just what I was taught to do, right? And I guarantee you, there are people who've been studying for two years, and they're way beyond an understanding and practice than I am because my comparison is with God, you know, and that's what we want. But each of us has to do that. Each of us has to question, where are we on the continuum from salvation to glorification? And, and that's between us and God. And we're communing with him. And we're constantly submitting to the work that he's doing in our hearts. I believe movements away from the word of God to find joy moves one further away from joy, and they never find it. Listen, if man had the answer, if he had the answer, he would have passed the test, right? No one has the answer. We're still as messed up as we were a thousand years ago, right? You know it, right? It might, the context might be different, but we're still as messed up as we were, we being humanity, thousand years ago, or even further back. See, technology and all the advances and modern, uh, uh, it doesn't change. It doesn't make the human soul any better. It just gives the human soul more toys to play with. So moving further, line four, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That's the fourth designation, commandments. And once again, he's not talking about the 10th commandments. He's talking about the word of God, but he's looking at the word of God through the lens of commandments, right? It it has to do with all that God has ordered us to do 
and all that he's ordered us not to do. That's what he's talking about. And all of that is capsulated in the word of God. The the New Testament, for instance, the New Testament has what's called imperatives. And those imperatives are commandments. Not, well, let me, they're commandments in this sense. They're not optional. When the scripture says, rejoice always, it's not an option. The Lord is not saying, hey, if it's okay, you know, if your scenario is okay, rejoice. No, he's saying rejoice always. And if the Lord is the source of our joy, right, we should be able to rejoice always, right? So rejoice always. Pray without ceasing is what the scripture says. How about this one? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's not an option. Husbands, love your wives, right? As Christ loved the church, it's not, it, it is what the Lord desires to have happen It's a commandment. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, walk out of this building and say that to the average person who has no concept of what all that means and see what you get, right? But that's what God says, and it enlightens the eyes. It's where you find your best life. Notice what he says. The commandments are described as being pure. The commandments are pure. When the Lord asks you to do certain things, when he tells you to do certain things, right? It's pure. He's not going to lead you astray. You know, I'll tell you what. You want to know the secret to not having ever to confess sins. There is a secret. Yes, there is. (laughs) And it's not death, no. (laughs) Here's the secret. The secret is just eliminate all the commandments, right? Isn't that what people do? Isn't that what people do who say there's no God? Well, all you do is you eliminate the tug that the Lord has on your life, and you do that because you want to live according to your own desire, right? But not us. We are the people of God, and when the Lord gives us these commandments, we know that they are... They are absolutely pure. There's no mixture of godliness and human wisdom at all. You can fully trust that they're pure. The psalmist, in describing the purity of the word of God, says in Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. Over 2,000 degrees of heat, refining silver, take it through that seven times and you get purity. And that's the word of God. And here's the benefit. The benefit of the commandments is that they enlighten the eyes. Isn't that a statement? Enlighten the eyes. But you're probably thinking, what does that mean? Right? Enlighten the eyes. What does Jesus say about the eyes? He says that the eyes is the light of your body. In fact, the verse should appear, but the eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. The eye is the lamp, Jesus says. So the eye is to the body what the sunlight is to everything. The sunlight gives it light. But if you turn it out, 
you have no light, it's darkness. And darkness in the scripture represents sin and evil. So what the, what the psalmist says is, what, what, what lights you up, what lights your world up, what brings in truth, what, what exposes you to the nature of God and all of the things that, that are, are, are joyful is the commandments of the Lord. It is what lights up your world, right? According to the psalmist, once again, the pure commandments direct the lives into the will of God will enlighten your eyes that your entire life is brought into conformity to the will of God, which is the end game, is so that we, in our walk, we are reflecting always the nature and the glory of God. Okay, we're almost there. Line five, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Fear. All right, that's a little bit of a shift, right? But we're still talking about the word of God. And the reason perhaps the psalmist uses the word fear is because the word of God is meant to uh, incite in us a reverential fear of God. Listen, if I didn't fear God, I wouldn't, why would there be a need? I'm going to tell you, for me and for, for, for many of us as believers, we want the, the highest motivation for serving God obviously is love, right? Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. So the highest, however, there are those of us, and I'm one of them, who fear just works a little bit better. So that if the love is not there, where it needs to be, fear is there. Because I don't want judgment. I don't want trials. I don't want anything, right? If the Lord is trying to teach me something, I want to learn right then. So it all goes away. I'm just a weakling like that, right? I just don't want. You guys know. You know what it's like being in a trial. And the thing is, he's teaching us so that if you, if you don't get it, it just keeps coming back. But I fear that. I have a healthy fear. I think Tave and I talked last night about just, just the absence of fear in families, right? Like when I was growing up, I feared my dad. I loved him, but I feared him. And I wasn't his buddy. I was his son. He had to make certain demands of me, and I had to submit to that. When you lose that, Naturally, you lose this essence of what fear really is. So most people don't, don't uh, the, the later generations, if you will, really don't appreciate this, this sense of fear. It's something you have to grow into as a Christian, where it's not phobic toward God. Uh, he's gonna, it's reverence. It's, I know, I respect the Lord. Um, Deuteronomy, this verse says it all. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. This is Moses talking to the people just prior to his death. When the Lord said to me, assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words. And what happens after they hear the words? So that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children the same. The word of God is meant to produce in us a certain level of fear, reverence, respect that should push us toward worship. 
The scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom begins. He says it's clean, right? This is a clean fear. It's not going to corrupt morals. The Lord is not going to have us uh, doing things that's unsightly. It's not going to defile the soul. It is very, very clean. Everything connected with it brings about pure and holy living. And the benefit, it endures forever. It's not going to go away. And this, you know, I often hear people, and it really concerns me when people say, um, you know, you really have to make the Bible relevant to today's society. And I, in some ways, I understand, right? Because I understand when we teach the Word of God, we have to define words. We have to make sure that we're capturing the differences in the languages because the Word was written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, right? Have to capture that. We have to explain the stories, get the context. I understand all of that. But listen, to say that the Bible isn't relevant is to say that God isn't relevant. Because the word of God is the expression of God, right? But that's a superficial understanding of the word of God. Because the word of God penetrates your soul. It touches on concepts that were present with Adam. And they'll be present with the last person on earth. The word of God covers all of that. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether you're Russian, Jewish. It doesn't matter whether you were born in the first century or the last The word of God will meet you exactly where you are. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to the word or your word. Your word I have treasured or hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, it doesn't matter what generation. People's hearts are made pure by the word of God. Those who who fear the Lord will adjust. Those who have no fear of the Lord will never adjust and will never experience this enduring forever, pure cleanness of the word of God in their lives. And finally, and we'll wrap it up. Line six, the judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous forever. Now the judgments, these are divine verdicts, right? It's, it's God, he is the one who is making the decision. It's a divine decision, and these decisions, we are told, are true. People of every society has been searching for truth. And we have it right here. The judgments of the Lord are true. Pilate asked the Lord Jesus a question, That's very prevalent. It's always been prevalent with those who are seeking truth, seeking understanding. Pilate says, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? powerful pilot leading so many people, distinguished pilot, and he's left with what is truth. 
and truth is sitting right in front of him or standing right in front of him. The Lord Jesus being truth. Many have asked that question. And the benefit is that the sure source of truth is righteous altogether. It's completely right. There's no error. It's complete. It's the complete source of truth without exception. Nothing needed to be added. Nothing needs to be detracted. I always tell people, when we are talking about the Word of God, and I'll tell each one of you, when you're talking about the Word of God, you have to speak in truth. You have to. If you are not familiar with what you're talking about, just don't talk about it relative to the Word of God. Because you, you, you are always representing God. Remember how the Lord Jesus said men will be judged by every idle word? You want to make sure that you have exhausted every effort. The elders, we talk about this all the time. This is a part of how we operate. We want to make sure that from this place every Sunday, truth goes forward. We even would have you, if you have questions, ask questions. Because listen, if it's not truth, like you're listening to me today. I've said a lot of words. If some of these words you don't think are true, please say something to me. I've, I've come to a place by God's grace where it doesn't matter, Roosevelt. What matters is truth. Doesn't matter to me. And guess what? The Lord is listening to me say that right now. Because I've addressed that with him many times. It doesn't matter. What matters is truth. That's our testimony. And so, we can't detract, we can't add. Moses warned the people in Deuteronomy, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am preaching which I am teaching you to perform so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I have commanded you. It's easy to do the command of God if you adjust it so that it fits what you're doing. Real easy. That's why it's very, we have to be very careful that we're absolutely hitting it with all accuracy so that the Lord is honored. Well, listen, my aim was to exalt the Word of God today, right? To help us to, however elevated it was prior to coming in, to help it to be even more elevated prior to leaving. And I'll end with this. Someone might conclude, you know, all this might work for that psalmist, right? Because he doesn't live in the 21st century facing the things that we face. He doesn't know. He doesn't know real trouble. You know who the psalmist is? The psalmist is David. David knew what it was to have his light threatened continuously. He was an enemy of the king, Saul. He knew what it was to have a disrupted family. His son, Absalom, stole the kingdom from him. His son raped her, his stepsister, David's daughter. David is running away 
like a hunted criminal. David went through depression. David sinned horribly. David committed adultery and killed the husband of the woman. This is David who says, my delight is in the word of God. This is David who says the word of God is absolutely sufficient. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Father, we, we are so thankful for this book, this e eternal word of the living God. We thank you that we are those who, who have ears to hear and eyes to see, and that by your doing. Lord, thank you for the wondrous way in which you've graced us and, and given us mercy. And Lord, we know that you are at work in us. We, we recognize that we are but vessels of clay. We know our shortcomings. We know, Lord, but we also know that you are a God of grace and mercy and you constantly work in us your will, bringing us to will and to do according to your good pleasure. Thank you that your word is so elevated. Thank you that we can turn in it at any moment and be refreshed. Lord, thank you for all today who have come to worship you. May you bless their hearts with complete joy, joy that comes through you, knowing you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.